Welcome to the Wake Before the Day podcast with my parents, Clark and Bobby. We'll talk about the Bible and the Holy Spirit adventures. Thanks for listening. Hey, what's up, friends and family? Welcome back for the Wake Before the Day podcast. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this is the second to last chapter of the book, and we'll have reached its conclusion. This is one of the more, um, I should say, important, but... 1 Corinthians 15 contains arguably the oldest creed and confession in the church. Oh, right. Yeah. When it comes to answering the question of what is the gospel. This is, goes back and, and dates the earliest times of the early church, mm-hmm. and it's very helpful for us today as well as people debate what is the gospel. Yeah. Um, and so Paul answers this question. If you read other letters of Paul, he, he talks about the gospel often, but he'll pay attention like to the church in Thessalonica. He'll, he'll say like it deals with the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, but he'll emphasize the grace. But if then mm-hmm. he's talking to Romans, he'll talk about justification. And if he's talking to you know the church in, in Ephesus, the letter of Ephesians, he'll maybe highlight something else. And so the gospel is the same, but in the writings, like a diamond, if you turn it, he emphasizes yeah. and points out different points of the gospel. So it's not changing. He highlights different aspects of it. And so do you want to read the the first couple of verses for us? Let's do it. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So right away, Paul's just reminding them like it's the gospel saves you. That's what the gospel does. That's the, the importance of the gospel is like, hey, let's remember that it's the gospel's work is a saving work that and if and if we are believing anything else then that's done in vain and, and the gospel meaning again like it's the good news of jesus christ yeah so it's the lord who is saving you it's not the bible it's not the words of the bible the gospel is the good news of jesus yeah. that's what it's getting back to exactly that doesn't change and yep. so i think that's huge what mm-hmm. you just said like there's so many different vantage points that you can look at it from and there's different emphasis that paul's putting on it but the word itself the truth that has been lived out doesn't change yeah. it's not going to change and that's what we got to stand on and paul kind of continues to lay out what that means in the heart of the message in verses three four and five for what i received i passed on to you as of first importance that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to cephas and then the twelve hmm. So I, I love that he just keeps bringing up the scriptures because, again, yeah. he's saying this is not meant to be confusing. It's unchanging. And it is actually grounded in other writings and in yeah. history. Mm-hmm. So here, what he just said there is like, hey, other people have seen the risen Lord. This is grounded in history. You can cross-reference me. Yeah. You can go there. Yeah. I think, too, um, just the language, like Christ died, yeah. Christ has risen, Christ, or Christ was buried, and Christ was resurrected. So just this morning, that's something that we were doing after breakfast. We we were reciting the Apostles' Creed together as our family. I love when we do that as a body at Emmanuel. Um, yeah. It's a unifying thing among the church, but the language, like you're saying— is language that goes all the way back to people who had seen and lived with and walked with the risen Lord. Like this is, this is their reality that they, that they built their ministry out of. That's the gospel, like who Jesus was and what he did. And so Paul just kind of bringing it back to basics saying, mm-hmm. this is what happened. Remember it and remember that it's been documented. And, and we've talked about this before, but Paul's going to do this in, in a few verses too, where he talks about, 
actually in the next verses where he talks about who Jesus appeared to yeah. and why that's so hugely important. It's not just the names, like so he brings up Cephas and the 12 apostles. That is important. Yeah. But even the quantity, the amount of people. So if you read verses 6, 7, and 8, after that he appeared to more than 500 of the believers and sisters at the same time. Most of them who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also um, as to one abnormally born. And so this is one of those like key, if you're in apologetics, if you're reading like Lee Strobel's Case for Christ stuff, this is like a key convincing argument about the legitimacy of the historical facts of the resurrection was not just that it happened, but that there are eyewitnesses and not just eyewitnesses that were his best friends, but eyewitnesses that were his mortal enemies, Paul, who was Saul, eyewitnesses that were of multitudes of people at one time. So if you think about Mm -hmm. that even today, and if you were, you know, questioning someone about something that happened, are you more likely to believe someone if it was just like a one-off and like this, this, kind of cuckoo person over here is telling you or are you more likely to believe it when hundreds of people are saying a very similar story i think this is one of those this is actually a really i'm i tend to be a little bit more of a thomas like a little bit more cerebral a little bit more like i don't know so these facts that paul's laying out here to the church in corinth and not just the the huge reality that the gospel is in jesus christ but also the significance that we have in in the early church writings and in the the visual um what am i saying the visual i the eyewitness accounts of the people yeah that's huge that he's laying that what he's out. saying basically is you don't believe me go talk to him for yourself yes. cross yes. cross reference and fact check me and, and yep. we're going to be all right verses 9 through 11 paul seems to tap into his story in a way that he understands the harm he's done to the church because Saul hunted down and killed Christians. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm the least of the apostles and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then I, this is I or they, mm-hmm. this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. So there's no sense of false humility here. Paul's really understanding, Yeah, I messed up. I really did this bad. So when he's talking about being one abnormally born, it means that his entry into the church and the body of Christ is different from everybody right. else. And, and his story is very unique. And I love the, these particular verses because Paul shows us that God's grace is the unmerited, the kindness, the favor of God. He just gives it. He bestows it because he wants to, Mm -hmm. because he loves you. And the response, when someone actually gets a taste of grace, the response should be one of, I can't help but to love God back and to love other people. So grace is 100% opposed to earning. You You can't earn a free gift. But it should lead us to putting forth effort, understanding how kind God's been to me. Then, therefore, I'm going to put my best foot forward and try, not only in my relationship with God, but then trying to live it out as it impacts and blesses those people around me. And so Paul, you could say this very simply, Paul participated in his transformation. The Holy Spirit's the one who's the agent, the, the causing of the change. But Paul was walking step and step with the Spirit and brings about the real change. Just like you could have someone gift you a bunch of healthy food and weights if you want to go about being healthy and losing some weight and getting fit. 
However, you're the one that also has to actively like make your meals eat and pick food. up the weights, yeah. eat the food and go <laughs> on walks. And so there's a participation in what God is doing. And so here, then he transitions to get at the resurrection of the dead. Yeah. This is another important and um, uh, co- combative point for the church in Corinth at this point. Okay. And, and what he says here in verses 12 through 14 is, he says, if we lose the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel in its entirety is yeah. going to fall apart because everything hinges on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Mm. And if Jesus were still dead, then he says we're wasting all of our time. Yeah, that's one of the things. So 12 and 14 kind of speak to that, um, how if we lose the resurrection. That's what I just read. You just read that. Yeah, okay, yeah. great. And the first 15, <laughs> it's what I'm trying to, I'm listening to you and I'm paying attention. Then I remember, oh, I have to talk to Yeah. Okay, verse 15 talks about if Jesus was dead, then that would label all of the apostles as liars. Yeah. So if Jesus really did not come back to life and if he was still dead somewhere then every one of you that's testifying to this truth is a total liar so that would make it fall apart (laughs) yeah in verse 16 he's talking about if the dead can't be raised then jesus can't be raised either and vice versa right verse 17 and so this means that christian faith is worthless because the sins that we have haven't been forgiven so if you consider it like what the death and resurrection means just for our standing with god we are still in sin yeah. If, if that didn't happen. And verse 18, he gets at, if there is no resurrection, then the people who have died before us are truly gone forever. So mm-hmm. if you've t- been to a Christian funeral, sometimes you'll say, this is not goodbye. Oh, this is not uh, uh, forever. It's not goodbye. Yeah. It's I'll see you later. Yeah, right. That's what it is. It's not goodbye. <laughs> it's I'll see you later. And he's saying, if there's no resurrection, then it is bye-bye. Right. And you're not going to see each other anymore. And sadly, that's the truth with us as we relate to non-Christians. Right. And then lastly, too, when you just think about Christians at this time and what they were claiming happened, if the resurrection did not happen, then they weren't just, you know, conspiracy theorists. They were they were insane. They followed a man that, yeah, well, we already know they're labeled as liars, but you're somebody who's given your whole life. You've given your whole future. You've given everything that you are over to someone that was just a lunatic. And so Mm -hmm. now your your reputation and your standing and your status in the community is just garbage if this didn't happen, too. Yeah. And so now verses 20 through 26, Paul's getting at how Christ indeed has risen from the dead. He's the firstborn. He's the one who's leading the way in this new life. The kingdom's coming. There's a new hope and new expectation for us. Yeah. And when he says the first fruits, Jesus Christ is the firstborn of the dead and the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's using agricultural language there because what happens is when you reap the initial harvest or the first fruits of the grapes off the vine or anything like that, yeah. what that's a an indicator of is that there is going to be more fruit to come, right? more of a harvest to come. And so if Jesus mm-hmm. resurrected and he promised that there's to be more resurrections for those who are in Christ, we then as Christians look at Easter as our future. Yeah. And if Jesus is the first one to do this, he's going to be the first of many. So when we die, we too will be with Christ and there will be a true resurrection of the dead. Verse 21, it talks about how death came through one man, so salvation comes through one man. Just as death came through the first Adam, and when Adam and Eve sinned, that sin fully and 100% contaminated every, not only even everybody, but every um, human being at the point of conception is what Psalm 51 Mm. gets at. So I was was a sinner when I was conceived in my mother's womb. And so while that's the bad news, the good news is, Resurrection and salvation life came through the second Adam, who is Jesus, who came to do what humanity 
could not do for themselves. Mm-hmm. And then verse 24 through 26 really gets at the the reality of the waiting. Here. Right. Verses 24, it says, The end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father and after he's destroyed all the dominion, authority, and power of this world. For he must reign and has put all of his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so while you and I get to have a lot of hope for today, because we know what our future holds, yeah. and that when you die, you're going to be with Christ, the, the, the tension lies in the fact that we're in a waiting period. Yeah. That we're not, we might get glimpses of the kingdom, and at that funeral, yeah, oh, we're going to get to see him again. But for us, like, hopefully we don't see grandpa and grandma for another yeah. 60 years. I don't want to die before then, prefer- preferably. I do think this is like a, this is one of those things, though, where our Western mentality and our experience of the world and the way that we live it is so much different than everywhere else in the, in the world. Yeah. And so like a monastic tradition, if you go look at monks, one of the things that they will have on their desk often is a skull. A skull. And it is to remind them of their finiteness and of their mortality. Another thing, if you walk around a monastery, is often they'll have their cemetery uh, right in the middle of their commons area. And and that is to remind them that eternity is coming, that yeah. I will be there. I will be there one day. We don't want to think about death. We don't. Our culture is all about we. We're trying to figure out ways that AI can keep us alive forever, like or our consciousness. You know, we definitely don't want to think about this. And this is just kind of the opposite of how I was. My so personally, like my mom's mom passed when my mom was twenty in her twenties, and so I've never known her. But what that has done to my mom is that that has made eternal salvation and heaven so much of a reality yeah. that this, that it's never even been a question. Well, she, you know what's happening. Lost so many people at an early oh, totally. age that she just can't wait to meet. And them so all the again. gift of that in my life through my mom has been the the security and the assurance that that heaven is so close. And if we continue to live like that, why? My point that I'm trying to make here is. When we don't have a, a uh, when our eyes aren't lifted, when we don't have our citizenship in heaven, when we're not continually focusing on our eternal relationship with the Lord and we're just looking down and we're looking at the small details of life, then we're not fully living. That's the invitation of Paul where he's saying like, it, you know, Jesus did this first and because of that, we get to do this now. So it's not just that we live for 85 years and then, and then our life's done. It's that we live for 85 years and then we live fully forever with the Lord. And so whether it's the monastic traditions or whether it's like I, one of the things that comes in my head is my mom used to always sing the song, I'll fly away. It's like a little kid song. I sing that song all the time to remind me of my eternity in heaven. But then there's so many other, I mean, Joni, Joni Erickson Tata is a, I, th- I think technically she's a quadriplegic, but she's a famous, really she's Author, famous for speaker, loving yeah. Jesus, yeah. really. Like she's written books, she's painted pictures. And she has a picture of herself before she got in her accident that sits on her table. And so it's when she had fully functioning nervous system. She had fully functioning arms and legs before this diving accident. And people ask her, you know, why do you have this picture on your desk? Like, does not is that just be like, do you just miss like, you know, being able to do these things? And, and do you just miss having like a, a completed body that was that was working exactly, you know, how it was kind of supposed to work. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. I have that picture of me when my legs were working and my arms were working because that points me to heaven. That picture reminds me 
that I'm not always going to be like this. Mm -hmm. That picture reminds me that I'm going to be fully restored. So Paul's point in all of this is saying this happened. Jesus really did die. He really did rise. And we really do get to walk in the empowerment of the spirit. And, uh, and if it didn't, then all this stuff, you know, yeah. is worthless. And how, while we are in a seri- uh, a period of waiting, it does change how we live today. And, 100%. and yeah. just to kind of get back to maybe a, a worldly example of this. I, I'm a love, I love history. I love, especially the world war two era. Um, Winston Churchill was a leader over in, in the UK during the, the thirties and forties in different roles. And December of 1941, that's when we as Americans yeah. remember Pearl Harbor. So the war had been happening between Allied powers and Axis powers in World War II already at this point. But here's what Winston Churchill wrote something remarkable. Because he said once America was attacked, once Pearl Harbor was hit, he knew that the war was over. And it was just a matter of time for the defeat of the Axis powers. And here's what he wrote in his his journal. So imagine the bloodsheds, and they're in the middle of the bloodshed. War is happening. America has not even entered the war yet. And this is what he said. So we have won after all. We had won the war. No doubt it would take a long time. Many disasters, immeasurable cost and tribulation lay ahead. But there is no more doubt about the end. Being saturated and satiated with emotion and sensation, I went to bed that night and slept the sleep of the saved and the thankful. Because yeah. Winston knew that, as they say in history too, you just awoke the sleeping giant. I believe that's right. what the Japanese leaders said. Like, you shouldn't have done that. Then America comes in and joins the Allied powers with the help of other people bring liberation to Europe and North Africa and the other parts of the world. The same is true with Jesus. When Jesus really died, this is what Paul is saying, the victory has been won. Are there battles still to be fought? Yep. But do we know how it's going to be finished? Absolutely. And so we can sleep the sleep of the saved tonight, knowing that God has taken care of his people. Yeah. And now Paul transitions, and this is kind of where he gets at in the middle of this, is why the church should still hope and believe in the future resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you look down verses 27 through 33, this is what he's getting at. But what the church in, in Corinth was doing was they were baptizing. So on one hand, they were doubting the future resurrection. And on the flip side, they were baptizing people in some weird tradition and ritual right. in the name of dead people whom they hope to like reunite through baptism or something like that. They're doing it incorrectly. And so Paul is saying, you're being hypocritical. He's like, your logic doesn't even line up. You're saying that there might not be a resurrection of the dead and there's Mm -hmm. no future hope, yet you're baptizing people um, in the name of of dead folks who you think you're going to reunite them some mysterious and, and odd way. And so then the second thing Paul gets at is he's saying, you have to take great risks as followers of Jesus today Mm -hmm. because there is a future resurrection. Someone can kill your body today. All right, whatever. You know what your tomorrow brings. Mm -hmm. And so you and I get to ruthlessly and shamelessly and fervently follow Jesus today. Give him everything we got because we're not taking any of this with us when we pass on to the the next life. Yeah. Like there's no hearse. uh, There's no U-Haul behind the hearse. And what he's saying is then go for it. Right. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You know, pelt to the mill. Let's go. Because one day, you know, you're going to be just fine as you're reunited with the Lord. He talks about what it's going to look like, too, in the Mm -hmm. coming verses. So verses 35 through 37, I'll read those. But when someone asks, how are the dead raised? What does this actually look like? Mm -hmm. With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be. Hmm. 
but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. And so I love the seed analogy is something that really has encouraged us, I feel like, often just in our walk with the Lord. But the picture that Paul's presenting here of your resurrection body is also really, really helpful. So even if you even if you think of just a basic like we have some plants and seeds growing in our backyard. Talk about before we went on vacation. This is a great story. What happened? What? what, what? Well, Bobby, you had bought some wildflowers and stuff with the kids. Been pl- yeah. playing in the backyard, doing our thing. We left for almost a month on vacation. <laughs> yeah. We come back from vacation, and there are like three to four foot bushes, flowers <laughs> all over our backyard. It's, it's amazing. I Purples love it. and blues and bees. orange and yellows and reds. We have <laughs> bees everywhere. Bug. You're like, our I'm kids like, don't love that part. What happened? And the kids just took these packets and just went. Psh, threw them all over the place so we were st- strategic with our vegetables you know and we planted seedlings <laughs> in our in our little greenhouse and and that was that's one way but then another way was we just kind of bought they were assorted Wild, um, wildflowers they yes they're packets like for california what am i saying? native they're native plants for california and so we just oh, i'm like the package says you know just sprinkle them where you want them and then we'll water it well, we still have some that are like, well, there's one that we're all waiting for that has to bloom yet. It's like and five it's and tall. a half feet tall. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and so the point is like the seed died. Yeah. Because this thing, it is not a seed anymore. It is a little brown thing about this big. <laughs> and now it is a five and a half foot green pole with leaves. Something and amazing. Soon to be I don't know. Probably a yellow sunflower. I don't know what else. it's going to be. It's know. phenomenal. And so that's, the, it's such a great picture of what Paul's saying. Like someday you're going to have a tertiary, but someday you're going to have a body, um, that's going to be complete and it's going to be whole. Yeah. And, uh, right now what, what matters is living all out so that, so that when that day comes that then, then we just rest, we yeah. just go and, we, it, and we've completed. Our and he mission. goes back yeah. to Jesus to make his point here. So in verse 42, yeah. He says, so this is all going to be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it's going to be raised imperishable. And then 49, he says, Mm -hmm. and just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Right. And so just as, you know, our earthly parents, Adam and Eve, brought sin and shame to the world, Jesus ushered in a whole new way of living and relationship with God. So Mm -hmm. from shame and scorn to glory. Because of the cross and what Jesus Christ did. Yeah. From the natural to the spiritual. Yeah. And one day we're going to be reunited with God and things are going to be better than we can possibly imagine. In verse 53, he says, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And what he's saying here, here is that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Right. He's saying resurrection life will essentially know nothing about yeah. sickness, tears, cancer, death, decay, corruption, all the list of all the bad things in the world. Yep. It's not going to be Dang. included in heaven. It's not allowed. It's going to be a completely different way of living. And so he ends, and sometimes you hear this hymn, you sing the scripture, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Yeah. He says, those who have fallen asleep, and, and this is where he's using it spiritually, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, are awake with the Lord. They've been given new bodies. We're going to be given new bodies. And this is just going to be an exciting adventure. So stand firm. That's what he says. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain.
That's the gospel, folks. First yep. Corinthians, oh my, chapter 15. What an encouraging chapter. Thanks for coming with us. Super yep. fun. We're almost done. Tomorrow. Last so one. join us. First Corinthians chapter 16. We'll wrap it up. It's going to be good. God bless you guys. See ya. The Lord bless you and keep you. Don't make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give him his peace. Have a great day.